We are going to Romans chapter 8, as just referenced a few moments ago in our introduction to that song. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which is that verse that we all know so well. We know that God calls us all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. There's a lot in that phrase that makes us stop and ask questions, right? Like, really? All things? There's a whole catalog of things that we would say, really? That too? That's a tough thing to walk through, to talk through. But we're going to do that today and look at this verse and understand that uh, we as children of God, are secure in his plan. That's our paragraph we're working through right now in verse 28, 29, and 30. We are secure in his plan. And I hope to express that well to you. We started on it last time together. Um, We started with what we know. What we know, it starts that way, doesn't it? And we know. And so, I don't believe I'm going to share anything with you that you don't know. The question really, I think, is, do we want to acknowledge that we know it? Because it's easier sometimes to, to think that, uh, well, if we don't acknowledge it, then we don't have to, to uh, try to figure out how it is that this is part of God's plan. That's a hard question for some people especially in difficult things. How is this a part of God's plan? So if we act like we're ignorant, then we don't have to wrestle with such questions, do we? So, the fact is, we do know. And we started with that last week. I'm not going to rehash that part. We also have found in this verse who we are, or what we are, rather, ones who love God. And you do, don't you? Ones who are called by Him. We acknowledge that, too. He has brought us to this relationship. And I'm so glad he did. If he didn't bring me, I would have never come. He drew me to himself. That's what Scripture says. I believe with all my heart. And I'm so glad he's done that. These are the things we've discussed so far. Today we're going to go much deeper into the text. And we're going to talk about what God is doing and why. But let's ask him for help. Heavenly Father... We're entering into a place where thoughts on our part are insufficient to match the thoughts on your part. What we think, what we know, is so limited. And so when we come before you today, we ask for your help in understanding a passage that is easy on print but hard in life. Help us to grasp it in the way that we ought to that we might be encouraged by this passage, have our faith secured even stronger than it's been before, but may we come away understanding more and more how secure we are in your plan. Help us with this today, we pray, for we need it, each and every one of us do. Thank you for what you're going to show us today, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, the verse that I have 
retranslated for you. And it's not that I made up anything here. I just pulled it out of the Greek text and I added uh, this as part of what I'm sharing with you on purpose. Um, For we are perfectly knowing that to the ones who are loving God, God is working together all things into a good thing. To the ones who are being called ones according to a plan. Now I speak those words intentionally as I share with you today. That God is working all things into a good thing. Into a good thing. A couple of things that we've been looking at here is is what God is doing. And I gave you a touch of that last week as we were closing that his goal is to make us holy and blameless. Remember those passages we brought up? It's in Ephesians. It's in Ephesians 1. It's in Ephesians 5. It's in Colossians 1. It's in Jude, verse 24. Uh, his his uh, work is producing you and me into those that will stand before his throne, holy and blameless. I just think that's amazing, don't you? It's true, though. You will stand there before his throne, holy and blameless. Why? Because you figured it out and you polished up everything just right? No. This is his work. This is what he is making us. And we're going to see in just a couple of verses, he's not quitting. In your life, in my life, he's not going to stop until we are in the image of his son. That's an amazing thing to me. Absolutely amazing. But that's where he's leading us, even today. Conformity to his own son. So, we're getting that way. But our passage today brings up that third question. First we ask the question, uh, um, what do we know? And we dealt with that. The second one is, what we are? And we dealt with that. So now we come to the two other questions, what God is doing and why God is doing it. All right? So, the same passage. We are perfectly knowing that to the ones who are loving God, God is working together all things into a good thing. And the last part of this, according to a plan. Okay? Now... I want to start with something because you probably have caught on already, and now I want to just give it a little bit of a push. All right? Our memorization of the passage, and what you probably see, like in many of the translations we carry, all things work together for good to those that love God. All things work together for good. We see that phrase, right? And yet, Pastor Bob's up here saying, God causes all things to work together for good. Just touching on that, I hit a spot that I didn't know was a debate until I started to examine the verse. And I looked at it and I said, now wait a minute. Why have we always said all things work together for good? And then there's other translations that says God calls us all things to work together for good. Is that just a theological perspective that they're giving? Is this something I missed all along? What is this? So I started to dig it up as I like to dig. All right? And I found there were two separate sets of manuscripts. That always makes us fun. All right? Two separate sets of manuscripts out there. One of them had God's 
activity in the verse, and it says God causes all things to work together. And one of them doesn't. And so, curiosity, and the questions that pop through my head is, so who do you think's right? Should one be right and one not be right? So I started to investigate it a little deeper. And I found something that I thought was significant. If I could just be technical for one minute. All right? Just for one. There's a Greek word in there, panta. P-A-N-T-A. It is the word all things. All right? It's plural. But it's also what we call neuter. A neuter word is an interesting word in the Greek because when you see it on the page, you have to guess. Is that the subject of the verb, or is that the direct object of the verb? Is it all things are working, or is it something is working all things? You see the difference? The unfortunate problem is that word is like that. It leaves us at a big question mark. Every single time we translate it, my early Greek students always struggle with this. Is that the subject, or is that the direct object? And we have to go through the context to figure it out. It's one of those challenging words. Well, many of the manuscripts leave it just like that. And as you're reading through it, you say, okay, is that the subject or is that the direct object? And most of our translations read it as the subject. All things work together. Right? They leave it that way. I said, okay, but why is this other one, this other set of, of manuscripts has God's name in it, and guess what? It's in the subject form which makes God work all things. And I said, okay, well, what do I do with this one? This debate's out there, the theologians are still hashing it through, and all that, and I have to preach it on Sunday morning. How are they going to say, I really don't know. There are good theologians on every side of the scale on this one, and I'll tell you what I think, all right? Just from my perspective here, something is working. Either all things are working for good, or God is working all things for good. And quite personally, I would rather have God steering my course than all things. That's what I stopped with, and I said, you know, come to think of it, it may not sound in, in, uh, in a grammatical way like it's a big deal, but when it gets personal, I start to say, I would rather have this. And this is why I, I came to such a conclusion. Not only does the whole context of the whole chapter say God is doing this, God is doing this, God is doing this, God is doing this, God is doing this. Why all of a sudden is everything else doing? In one verse, of all of them, everything else is doing this, and then it comes back to God in the next verse. I thought, that seemed odd to me. I would much prefer to have God leading the charge on verse number 28, too, because That's the thing that I need him to control. All things. Here's what. If you prefer, and maybe you do, I don't know, it's the way we learned it, you know. All things work together for good. All things include sorrows. All things include persecutions. All things include what is blessing to us. Adversity. Disease. Affliction. Discipline, wisdom, character, that rough, independent human will we've got, our harsh tempers at times. 
How many things do you want to put in all things right now? Let's start the pile. Ask Paul what he would put in all things. Well, he'd talk about persecution and shipwreck. Maybe he'd talk about how there were confrontations with false teachers, challenges with all kinds of religious leaders, working with his co-workers. Maybe his list of all things is different than your list of all things. Probably is. Most of you haven't been shipwrecked yet, right? Maybe not even stoned like he was. But his list of all things, your list of all things, my list of all things, there'd be great variety in such things that. The options really are very great. And the reason I prefer that all things are not doing the work of sorting themselves together to come up with something good is that all things are too great, too varied, too different from one person to another. And how do you make a formula out of that? How, how do you decide what is in the all things that sort themselves out to what is not in the all things? Or, you know, what we tend to do is omit the things we don't want in the all things, right? There are certain things in life that we don't want to confess to being that which works toward good. A baby dies. How does that fit? How does that fit? We, we talk about different things of, of tragedies. We go in the news and look at Barcelona. We look just down south of us where the hurricane sits. We start to ask questions of how can that be? We ask questions about things that are acts of sin torture, death, terrorist. Wow. It's kind of hard to read this verse next to the evening news. You say, well, which part do you want to include if all things are driving the, the cart today? Which parts do you want to include and which parts do you want to leave out? You see, do they all ultimately desire to make something good in us? All things? Are they really at work to make something good in us? And how do they do that, by the way? Since they are things. They don't love you. Things don't. Things don't even think about you. They have no brains. They have no compassion. Things don't operate like this. So when I'm looking at this, I can see it's very tricky to define this huge thing is all things, it's hard to define it, first of all. And secondly, it's even harder to let them be the ones shaping me and making my life what it ought to be for good. I have a hard time submitting to all things. Like I said, I prefer to have God in charge of all things. I would, I would rather He be working them together because He's got wisdom, doesn't He? Oh, all of it. We use the word omniscient. He's got power. That means he can control it all, can't he? He's omnipotent. He's got a plan. I've told you that's part of my translation. He has a plan involved here. That he's at work. And add to this one, all these things, he loves me. He thinks about me. He gave his son for me. 
wouldn't I much rather have everything under his umbrella, under his sovereign control, than let it go randomly as all things? See where I'm starting from today? I looked at that verse and I said, oh, we can do so much better. I would much rather rest under his sovereignty than under the, the unpredictability of the things of this world. Some people understood this very well. Let me back up with you just to Genesis chapter 45 for a minute. Genesis 45. We read of a young man who grew up as a slave, as a servant, because his brothers sold him. You know his name? His name was Joseph. His brothers sold him to be a slave. The other option was to kill him. But they sold him. And he ended up in Egypt, and the Lord worked in his life and brought him to a place where he was uh, second in charge of all of the land of Egypt. And his brothers came to be dependent on him, but they didn't know that was coming. And what's fascinating is the day they got to communicate with one another about the past, and I can't imagine how tough that moment was for them or for him. But these are his words. In Genesis 45, verse number 5, he says to his brothers, Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me. God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me here. We told you, Joseph, God sent me here to save your lives and the lives of so many more. Here he says it again in chapter 45, go to 7 and 8. God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord to all his household and rulers over the land of Egypt. He, he's bringing up the same thing. God did this. God did this. He does it again in chapter 50. Chapter 50 was a pivotal moment in their life because they could hear Joseph say that while his father was still alive. But after his father died, they thought, oh boy, are we in trouble. Dad's not here to watch anymore. And he's going to really hit us hard. And they were afraid. And at, after the funeral took place, they all gathered back probably for one of those family dinner things. And while they're sitting there, I'm using my imagination a bit, but while they're sitting there, they're thinking, oh, it's coming. It's coming. He's going to get us. He's going to get us. And in chapter 50, he speaks again in verse 20. He looks right at him and he says, well, verse four, uh, 19, rather. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for what? Good. In order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Don't be afraid. This is God's work. This is God's work. Now, 
How often do we come to that perspective right away when we're in the midst of something? Ah, that's a hard one, isn't it? Let's try another one. Maybe we'll find an easier passage. Uh, Joshua 24. Let's go to the book of Joshua for a minute. Chapter 24. Now, Joshua had been with Moses when they went through the wilderness for 40 years. Joshua then took over for Moses to lead the people into the promised land. It took them a good three years to conquer the territory they needed to establish themselves in that land, to have some sense of security in that land. Joshua worked very hard to get them to that place. It took about 30 years in all to reach that point. And here's Joshua at his last few days. He wants to speak to the people. He had been there. He watched the Red Sea part. He was there at Mount Sinai. He watched them complain over the water, complain over the manna, complain over the walking. He was with them all the way through, and he watched every single one of them but Caleb die along the way for 40 years. He went into battle with them, and he fought the battle side by side, watching Jericho fall down, the disaster that took place at Ai, and all these other episodes. He was there. He knew the troubles, and he knew the heartache. And he knew the pains, and he knew the victories, and he saw all these things together. And then he has one word he wants to say to them. Joshua 24. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and their judges and their officers, and presented them, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and led him through all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau, I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in your midst. And afterwards, I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who lived beyond the Jordan. And they brought you, uh, and they fought with you. And I gave them into your hands, and you took possession of their land when I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he had to bless you. And I delivered you from his hand. You crossed the Jordan, came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you. The Amorite and the Pezerite and the Girgashite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you and drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you. And not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you have not labored. Cities which you have not built. You have lived in them. 
you are eating their vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. Now, did you see the stress all the way through that? I kind of gave it a little bit, didn't I? Who did all that? God did it. He just spanned a big chunk of history. And he says, it was me. It was me. It was me. I did this. I did this. I did this. So the application comes. Joshua just said that. In verse 14, he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's quite a statement, isn't it? That is quite a statement. Don't ever underestimate God's work in your life. There are so many things we don't understand, and I'm sure these folks who lived through that would scratch their heads too. But when you step back and you look again, Who's been at work? God has. God has. God has. Over and over and over again, it's stated that way. God has done this. God has done this. There's a couple of things that came across to me this just in the last two days, maybe. Maybe three days. But one was a friend of mine who is now serving as a chaplain in the military, um, a ministry to, to the military. And uh, he put this little quote on his Facebook page. He says, God chooses what you go through. We, we choose how we go through it. It's like, hmm. God chooses what we go through. We choose how we go through it. I wonder how many times uh, our way of looking at things are just like that. You know what it means, don't you? We acknowledge his plan. We know, the passage says. We know this is how God works. But we choose not to believe it. We choose not to accept it. We choose not to understand on purpose sometimes. Or maybe we don't understand, but we discredit his work. Yesterday, as we were driving back up from Oklahoma City, I had a song playing on the... uh, I had a CD playing in my truck as I'm driving along, and and I'm glad there's no law against writing while you drive. There is one against texting, and I thought, well, it's safe to write then, right? So I'm sitting there trying to write the lyrics of this song while I was driving down the road, and I don't know how I'd ever explain that if I got pulled over. But uh, the song excited me. The words were, were so dear as I heard the chorus of this song. I had to write it down, and I think I can still read it here, because understand I was writing it at 55 miles an hour. But here it goes. Sometimes he calms the storm with a whisper, peace be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the winds and waves go wild. Sometimes... He calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. I said, ooh, 
That's a perspective, isn't it? How many times is it that the Lord would say, I need these winds, just like they are. I need these waves, just like they are. They're, they're fulfilling a purpose I have for them. And don't you worry, I have you too. And he holds us in the midst of the storm. In the midst of it. Is he capable of such things? Yes, he is. And that's something I see when I'm looking at these words in front of us right now. What God is doing. What God is doing. He's at work. He is at work. I put that stress in front of it intentionally. He is the one doing it. And I don't want to underestimate what he's doing. I want to acknowledge it up front. It's he, God, as the New American Standard reads here. God calls this. Those two words are important to me. God calls this. Now, why? We're going to move to the second part. In the sense that God calls us all things to work together. This working together is key to understanding why. Why? He has a method, you see. He, he has a plan. God is always working according to a method or a plan. Nothing is careless in his activity. Nothing, by the way, is a response to the activity. Let me underscore that for you in this way. There are those who teach today that God does not know the future. There's a theological circle out there called the openness of God. And they say, God doesn't know your future. God doesn't know what's going to happen to you. He's just as surprised as you are. I can't stand that theology. I couldn't live that way. I just couldn't. I couldn't wake up in the morning and he says, Oops, you know what? Something happened last night and I've got to tell you about it. If God's always on the side of trying to fix things that he's not controlling, is he in control? No. But that's a theory. That's a, a, it was being taught pretty heavy several years ago. That God doesn't know. Well, see, I like it better to say that God does know. He's not a responder. He's an initiator. He sets the plan. He sets the course. He's got the way. We follow and trust Him because he's, He can do that. That's what He's doing. And it says that He's got a method for doing it because He always works this way. He, he can combine things together that we would say, that doesn't fit. And it fits because He can see it better. He can understand it better. He can work together. There's a word that, that's become a little more prevalent in our day and age, Synergy. Back in the 80s and 90s, it became bigger. Synergy. They talk about synergy. Uh, matter of fact, if you go with its origin, you're back up all the way into the 19th century. And you see that the Greeks were using that kind of a term in some of their vocabulary. Synergy. Well, you know what? God's been operating that way all the time. Because that's the word in front of you right now. Working together, that's the word we call synergy. And what it says is this, that, that God, in seamless operation, takes things and puts them together for operation. 
things that would surprise us that they actually worked this way. In our day and age, we talk about keyboards and mouses and all these other devices. We touch screen and all these other things. And you, you know what? We never complain unless it doesn't work. But when it doesn't work, we say, what's wrong with this? It doesn't seem to work right. That They say, well, it's synergy when it's working right. Well, this term is applied to God's operation from the very beginning. It always works right. And that's the point of what we see in this. It may be new to us in technology, but not when it comes to God. I love this one translation. It's actually from the 300s A.D. Uh, they wrote this in an Egyptian text. They talk about, uh, but to those who love God, he habitually works. And I stopped right there and I said, ooh, that's a great little word to put in front of it. That's the essence of it. He habitually works this way. That's the way you could be guaranteed. It's going to come out as he's at work. He is working. Now, what he's doing is taking all things that we've just referenced earlier, rather than them being in charge, he's in charge of them. And he's working those seamlessly effectively, consistently. He's working those things. He's always working those things. That's his method. Now, I just had to set it that way in front of you to ask, what's his object? What's he aiming for when he does this kind of work? He's working all things into a good thing. And that's what it literally means. <laughs> into a good thing. Into a good thing. The word agathos is a Greek word. It talks about good in character, good in constitution, good in benefit, good in effect. In other words, his meticulous care for you will benefit you. It has that kind of character to it. That's what the end result will be, is something good, something that benefits. It's part of his plan, and that's what the rest of the verse talks about. He does this according to a plan, according to a plan. Now, are you amazed at that? You want to be even more amazed for a moment? This is fun. Go over with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to just show this verse to you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 11. Listen to these words. We have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined. There's a big word for you. In other words, you are not an accident in God's plan. It didn't just, whoop, there you are. God predestined you. That's big. That is huge. Because predestined is destined before, or chosen before, or loved before, or all his thoughts concerning you is before. That's, that goes back a long way. Matter of fact, it goes on to say in the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1, 
verse 4, he chose us before the foundation of the world. That simply means before this planet existed, he had already chosen you. Does that pop circuits in the head? That's amazing to me. That's amazing. Now, tell me how secure you are. If God's plan started before this earth existed, by the way, that was before you were here too, wasn't it? Just checking. But that means you didn't earn it. You didn't gain his merit by your wisdom or your beautiful appearance or your abilities. He didn't say, hey, you know what? You've impressed me. I'm going to choose you. He chose you before you even walked on the planet. That takes all merit out of the picture. And I'm glad it does because now I know his plan for me is not based on merit. It's based on Him. That's important when I want to talk about being secure in His plan. He did this. Okay, that's predestined. Now let's go to the rest of the verse. Having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. He has a will. He has a plan. He has a way that he does what he does. And I think it's kind of interesting to say it this way. He, he has this plan, and all things go through it. And they have to go through his counsel. I kind of think that's neat. Just in my wild imagination, God has a board meeting. And he says, now, what are we going to allow happen here? And he decides. Because he chooses what goes through. He chooses how it shapes. He chooses its impact. He chooses its degree. He chooses its result. He knows what it will do, and he's with you the whole time. How can you beat a plan like that? How can you not be secure in the fact that he is in charge of all things? That's why I like that verse. In Ephesians 1, verse 11, it goes right with this passage. This is what God is doing. I think it's an amazing thing when I read about this. It's a good thing He's aiming for. It's a good thing He's working for. He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. He's got a strategy. But I want to give you one more touch of it, and I think you might appreciate this very much. The word purpose here, according to a purpose, according to His plan, all right, this is the word that the old Hebrews used when that priest would go into the temple or the tabernacle and they would take a, a, a pile of what they called the showbread, 12 loaves of bread with them. And each one was to represent the sons of Israel. But they were, they were to present this before the Lord at a, at a little table called the table of showbread. It was in the temple. A very sacred moment that they were, priests would carry these in, they were made just according to the, the recipe as God had given to it. They'd walk in there and they would arrange them on the table very carefully to make sure they were set just like they should. It was a very sacred moment. And they would constantly be at work at that. And what's interesting is, that is the same word God has chosen to use here to say, this is how I've been working in your life. I am very meticulous. 
I am very careful. And I set all of these in order because this is a sacred thing. And I do it just right every single time. That's interesting. That's in that word, purpose. He did it on purpose. He did it with care. He did it in an expression of His love for you. But He did it as a sacred thing. Have you ever thought of your life as something like that? You want to know the value He's put on your life? His Son died for you. That you might live. And if He didn't withhold His Son, how will He not freely give us all things? Scripture goes to make that point over and over and over again. But I want to talk to you as this passage, Romans 8.28 says, God is at work. He's causing all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. He's arranging it. He's overseeing it. And if you want to know how deep that gets, wait till we get to the next verse. It builds more. It builds more. I want to just set you at a place where you feel and know the security you have in God's plan. I want this to be a place where you stand firm in God's plan. It's kind of hard to stand firm when everything around us keeps shifting. God does not shift. That's why as a pastor, going through a passage like this, I said, folks, come on. This is what we need to see. Because we've got another week ahead of us. Who knows what's going to happen this week? God does. Do you trust Him? I hope this passage, if nothing else, is building that in your heart. You can trust Him with that plan. You can trust Him with that plan. So much more to say, but my time's up. Oh, well, let's talk to the Lord about that. Heavenly Father, where we are today, I believe, is amazed at how great you are. We got another glimpse of how you work, and we're so thankful to hear how you operate in our lives. Maybe it doesn't answer every single question of what we call why. We may not understand why that has come our way or this has come our way, but at least we can step back and say, but my God loves us, and he's at work in us, and he will not quit until we're like Christ, and somehow this fits the picture. And maybe it won't be until we're in glory that we understand it best. But for today, Lord, we need some place to stand. We need to feel the security that comes with such passages as this. We need to trust you more. And I think all of us are at that place where we need that a little bit more. Do your work in our hearts today, Lord. Secure us more and more in our understanding of who you are and that great love you have for us. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you hold us in the midst of difficulty. You're always with us. And we give you the praise and the glory. For those who are struggling heavily today, Lord, with things in their heart, things in their lives, you know exactly the needs that go there, and we just lift them up before you and say, Lord, be, be pleased to show your work 
that all of us will have more reason to give you praise. Work in our lives, we pray, as you always do, that we may thank you more. In Jesus' name, amen.